Good morning, everyone. I love being together with you on Sunday mornings. Uh, if you're online uh, or watching us later on demand, again, thank you for being here. Uh, this is really important to us. We're so glad you could participate in being here. So uh, we are continuing this series called One Thing. Gino kicked it off last week, and what we're talking about are the threads of truth that run through um, our lives with God. And so we're talking kind of from different voices about uh, the truths that preachers have recognized as God's story being written in their lives. And I thought the, the task of identifying one thing was really exciting. Like when Gino texted and said, we preached this morning, this is the series, I, I saw his text and I thought, hey, that, that's great. In fact, I have a few one things. And so I started to like assemble this list in my head, trying to find the best one thing to bring this morning. I could tell you that I know that God is faithful. I have lost count of how many times God's, God has shown up for me. I could tell you that I am sure that God has called and gifted women to lead in his kingdom in powerful and extraordinary ways. I could tell you that, be, that being forgiven and forgiving others has brought incredible, life-changing freedom to my life. But as I was assembling my list, looking for my best one thing to bring to you today, I felt God nudge me in a different direction. And it felt like God was saying, don't talk about your favorite one thing. Talk about the one thing that has had the most impact. And when I felt that nudge, I knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. This one thing has changed the focus of my life over the last decade. This one thing has humbled me, reoriented me, and set me in a new direction. This one thing has brought me more hope and more joy than I can articulate. So my one thing is this. God cares more about who I am than what I do. God cares more about who I am than what I do. Now, this is a really sobering one thing for me because I'm a good doer. Like, <clears throat> I have the capacity to accomplish things effectively and quickly. I pay attention to efficiency and productivity. If you need something done, I'm actually a very good person to call. And if we're being really honest, hear me say this, I like being a good doer. I like accomplishing metrics and producing things. I know that's not popular to say in church, but I really like that. I like feeling successful in my work. And I started bringing my doing to Jesus when I was in middle school. I have always known a life with Jesus, but as um, my independence grew, I began to pay attention to the activities around Jesus. And at that time and into my adult, into my early 20s, um, much of the conversations within the churches I was a part of, and really the wider Christian culture at the time, was centered around activity. 
and our small groups and lots of our conversations at churches and our prayer times really focused on two questions. What's your purpose and what are you gifted at? Those are the things that we would ask each other as a part of Christian community. And then when we were alone with Jesus, we would get to the ultimate question. Jesus, what, have you, what are you calling me to do? Do you want me to start a nonprofit for those in need, Jesus? Say the word. Do you want, to lead, you want me to lead a ministry, at a, um, a ministry in my church? I'm in. Do you want me to sell everything and move across the world for the effort to spread the gospel? Done. I'll do it. Activity was our primary expression of love and commitment to Jesus. And it feels important to say that with this activity, or with this emphasis on activity, came like this, um, came with it an unspoken hierarchy of holiness. As if to say, those who were called to be missionaries or pastors or church planters were more specially gifted than others. Now, I don't know that any of us knew this was happening. We certainly didn't talk about it. But I have no memory of anyone ever standing up in a small group and declaring, God has called me to be an engineer. I never heard that. We celebrated calls from the mission field, for the pastorate, for people that were planting churches, but I didn't hear the similar calls for other calls. I didn't hear similar celebration for other calls. And while this, while only loving God through activity was fraught, there was certainly a lot of really wonderful things that happened that I think God ordained and blessed. Churches were planted, they grew and flourished, and more people came to know Jesus. Nonprofits were started, and spaces of compassion and justice were a help to people and communities. But for me, something was disordered. I was so fiercely committed to following Jesus and doing whatever it was he told me to do that I wonder, looking back now, if I loved the activity of Jesus more than being with Jesus. I didn't know that consciously at the time, but when I think back, I wonder if that's what was happening for me. And it all came to a head one day when I was in a conversation with my spiritual director. This is someone who I have lots of conversations with about Jesus. And I was at another turning point in my life. I was relentlessly trying to discern what God was asking me to do. And I was frustrated, which is putting it really mildly. God was not speaking loud enough, clear enough, directly enough, fast enough. It seemed like I was waiting on hold, having asked God, what do you want me to do? And he was not answering. And after I unraveled this rant in front of my spiritual director, she took a deep breath and very firmly but very gently said, what if the question isn't Jesus uh, what do you want me to do? But Jesus, who do you want me to be? 
What if the question is not, Jesus, what do you want me to do, but who do you want me to be? It was this, like, holy moment for me. I remember exactly what she was wearing when she said it. It's forever ingrained in my memory. And so, for a few days there, I turned over this new-to-me question. Jesus, who do you want me to be? And as I looked at the Bible with this question in mind, like reading the scriptures through this lens, I very quickly saw what my director was talking about. I cannot do anything Jesus calls me to do if I'm not in the process of becoming who he wants me to be. In fact, I have to be in the process of becoming who God wants me to be in order to do the things that Jesus wants me to do. I had it backwards. I had no idea. And we see this emphasis of doing, excuse me, of being before doing all throughout scripture. We see it uh, in one place in Paul's words to the uh, people of Ephesus in the letters of Ephesians. That's what we're going to read today, Ephesians 4. It'll be on the screen behind me, um, or if you have your Bible um, or your phone, you can take a look at it. So we're looking at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 22 through 24, and then verses 31 to 32. So starting at 22, here's what it says. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then moving to verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Put off your old self, Paul says, to be made new. I cannot be the things that Paul has named here in verse 32 if I don't first get rid of the things he named in verse 31. I cannot authentically be compassionate towards you if I am burning with rage every time you walk in the room. And you cannot extend to me true forgiveness if you are not presently letting God chip away at the bitterness you carry against me. It would be like trying to wear new jeans over old jeans, okay? You might be able to get them buttoned for a minute, but nothing's going to fit right for very long. Translation, you can do the things that God wants you to do without becoming the person that he wants you to be, you can try that, but it's not going to stick or fit right for very long. Who we are matters. The interior condition of your soul impacts the exterior actions of your life. And for followers of Jesus, we are a new creation and we are being made new. 
It is both a fixed reality and an ongoing process. Like when you say yes to a life with Jesus, you are a new creation. Paul says, the old has gone and the new has come. And as your life with Jesus unfolds and you take up his invitation to follow him, he is continuing to form you. You are becoming who he wants you to be. God is an ongoing creator. God is made, we are made in God's image, and God is always tuning and changing and growing and refining us into his image. God cares more about who you are than what you do. And somewhere along the way, you know, Jesus says, we, see, we read in the beginning of God, the Gospels that Jesus goes up um, to the disciples and he says to them, wherever they're at in their lives, and he says, follow me. And those that respond drop what they're doing and they begin a life with Jesus. It's this impressionable moment that we see all throughout the Gospels as Jesus kind of creates the community around him. And somewhere along the way, I confused follow me for come work for me. I heard Jesus' invitation to follow him like I was being recruited, drafted, hired to work for him. And we're never fully immune to this confusion. Sometimes we get it backwards. Do you have it backwards right now? It's often easier to do than it is to be. When I had little kids and I was really tired, it was easier for me to make lunch than it was to play. Because to play with a little kid, especially an attentive little kid, you've got to be present. It requires connection, response, flexibility, understanding, question asking, engagement. But to do, I mean, you can go on autopilot if you need to. Check out. All I had to do was put food on a plate. That was much easier than playing some days. But if we hear the words of Jesus, when he, as he says it to his disciples, come follow me, as an invitation to become who Jesus wants us to be, there's actually extraordinary welcome. Follow me to be with me. Follow me to see how I do things. Follow me to learn. Follow me to come talk to me. Follow me so that I can help you with that thing. This is an invitation that is wildly full of love. And sometimes this is when shame creeps in, isn't it? Like we, if we examine who we are against what we do, this is that moment when shame shows up. And shame likes to tell us a different version of what's true. Shame tells us that we're too messy, too broken, too fake, too sinful, too fill in the blank. Shame tells us that if Jesus were to see who we really are, he's not going to like us. 
Shame tells us that if we're honest with Jesus and the people around us, they're going to be really mad or really disappointed. Shame tells us that paying attention to who we are is going to be too hard, too painful, too time-consuming, too selfish. But shame is a fog. It's absolutely a fog. It does not tell us the truth. It keeps us from the truth. And the truth is, is that God cares more about who we are than what we do. So if you have confused follow me with come work with me, or if you spend more energy doing versus being, or if you feel shame kind of rising up in you as we're talking, there's actually a ton of hope here. Because I think that Jesus wants us to hear his invitation to fo- as follow me the way he meant to say it. I think Jesus wants us to have a real clarity when we say yes to a life with him. It is not just a yes to doing the things that Jesus did or to working for him or to wearing a jersey proudly on his team. It's also to be becoming who he wants us to be. And so I have come to love the question, Jesus, who do you want me to be? And there are a few things that have given me a ton of hope as I ask this question of Jesus actually very often. Jesus, who do you want me to be? Here's the first thing. Here's the th- one of the things that brings me great hope. Jesus partners with me in my becoming. This is not like individual homework for you alone. So you are not, we are not kind of forced to figure out who Jesus wants us to be on our own. And God is not going to zap you into being who he wants you to become. This is actually a group project between you and God. There is partnership here. Listen to David talk to God as his partner in Psalm 139. Here's what it says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is someone, these are the words of someone who is becoming with Jesus not becoming on their own, right? Search me, God. Tell me what you see. Look at who I really am. Look at what I really think. Look at how I really feel. Poke around in me. Turn me around when I'm not in the right direction. This is the back and forth of a relationship of noticing and responding. Now, when I first started holding this question, Jesus, who do you want me to be? I felt like I would ask the question and then I would run away. Right? Like, Jesus, who do you want me to be? All right, see you later. This was great. I did exactly what my director suggested. Or like, okay, Jesus, tell me what you see. And then I would only open one eye. You know, like like kind of bracing myself. 
because the thought of how he might answer that question was just too vulnerable, right? Like, like I was afraid that God would want to talk about everything at all at once, like a year-end review. Like, well, thank you for asking, Renee. Let's start at the top. I've been waiting to give you my list of feedback. But I don't actually think that that's how this is supposed to go. And one of the ways that I've been able to ask this question of Jesus, who do you want me to be, is through examine. Now, examine is a form of prayer, okay? If you want to learn more about it, there's like so many books written on the examine, or you could literally go home and Google examine prayer, and you'll find a lot of clarity on it. But the basic steps of examine it's, is that it's something that you do every day, or as many days as you can, towards the end of your day, okay? Like before you're really sleepy, okay? So some part of your day when you have some attention span left and you sit in God's presence at the end of the day and you say to God, um, Lord, would you help me review the day? And you just kind of sit there. It's as if you're like watching the tape back with Jesus about what happened in your day. Interactions that you had, things you did, um, moments that were seen and unseen. And as you're sitting there thinking about the day, reviewing it in God's presence, you say to God, Lord, what do you want me to see? Or what do you want me to notice? Another way to say it might be, Jesus, when did I move towards you in the day? And when did I move away from you? And when you ask that question, man, I ask this question of Jesus very often in the exam, and I'll tell you, every time I notice something, he brings something to mind. You might remember a moment when you spoke really harshly to a coworker. Or you might remember a moment when uh, instead of saying, I don't know, you made up the answer. Or you might remember a moment when you didn't follow through on something you said you were going to do. And it's a moment where you can hold what happened <clears throat> in front of Jesus' presence or in Jesus' presence and you talk about it with him. Like, oh yeah, Lord, I remember that. You know, I, I see where I responded harshly to this coworker. You know, Lord, she aggravates me. And it seems like when she sends me an email, I get all fired up. And it's an opportunity for you to talk to Jesus about that. For you to ask for forgiveness. For you to unpack what happened. For you to even in real time maybe text the person or go have repair with someone that you wronged. Now, this is, this, I know in your head it might sound like, how does she have an hour to do this every night? I don't. I do this in like 11 minutes or less. I don't have an hour to do this. This is not something that happens very, very, it doesn't have to happen for a long time. I often do this in my car. You can do this on your way home from work if you need to, or when you're waiting to pick up a kid from a practice. And it's essentially uh, this space where you give God permission to help him see you the way he sees you. And that is through the lens of love. 
even when it's something that's hard to look at. You know, I don't want to look at the, I don't want to spend energy at the end of the day looking at the moment where I wasn't my best self. But I do want to become who Jesus has called me to be, and I need help getting there. And he partners with me in that process. The second thing that brings me really great hope as I ask this question of Jesus, who do you want me to be, is that I have found there is way more joy in being than there is in doing. I kind of can't get over it. I have found more joy in being than in doing. You know, I used to carry around a lot of pressure trying to work to discern what Jesus was calling me to do, and then a lot of pressure to do that work as best as I could, as accurately as I could, and I carried a lot of pressure because I was anxious I would get it wrong. And there were times where I was burnt out and I kept going, or I should have taken a break and I didn't. But when the central question shifts from activity to presence or doing to being, there's actually a ton of grace. Because it's, the question is, who do you want me to become, Jesus? Translation, you're not going to get it right every time. You're learning. And learning is a process of up and down. Actions without interior life evaporate. Listen to how it's described in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Activity for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually lead to bitterness. Have you ever met someone that has spent so much time and energy working for God that they're actually annoyed by God? I wonder if I've shown up that way sometimes. Now, if it does feel important to say, hear me say this, learning that Jesus cares more about who we are than what we do is, does not keep us from doing the things that Jesus says to do. Right? Like, this one thing is not like um, a free pass to stop serving. I will never be invited back if that is the interpretation of this teaching. Please don't. Email your team leader after this and say, hey, heard that and now I quit. That's not the point. Okay? This is not like, a, okay, so you know what? I was benched by the Lord because I'm becoming. There is, I mean, like, I just think about it as practicing any skill, right? Like, there is a time to watch tape and then there is a time to try again. You cannot exclusively get better at something by just watching back how you did it. You got to get out there and do it again. 
And so there's actually this beauty that happens when you do while you become. It's just that you're shifting all of your attention from the doing to half becoming, half doing. And you're saying, okay, Lord, how am I being formed through this activity? Lord, I want to be conscious of who you are making me into as I do this thing that you've called me to do. You know, right now, I'm in a season of my life where God is digging around in my soul and doing all this inner work in my life, and it's been hard, and it's been beautiful, and I have never had more fun doing the things that Jesus has called me to do. It's incredible to me. There is so much joy in being. It is not exclusively wrapped up in the hype of doing. And the other thing that brings me a lot of hope when I consider the question, Jesus, who do you want me to be? Is that becoming who Jesus wants us to be is actually really contagious. It's incredible. When someone changes, others notice. When the thrust of your life shifts, People are going to pay attention when you respond differently, when you change your mind, when you slow down, when you have um, grace in the, in, uh, in the face of, of high, a lot of heat or a lot of reaction. People want to know what happened to you. What kind of work have you been doing If we want to give witness to the world that Jesus is real and attentive and present to us, then we can become who he wants us to be. It points to him over and over again in this really beautiful and thorough way. Becoming is contagious. When I see someone changing or I'm experiencing a new side of someone, I become curious and I often ask someone, what, what is happening to you? Like, are you getting more sleep? Like, did you read a book? Like, what podcast are you listening to? Like, what is the, what's the nutrient you are inhaling? And when somebody says to me, oh, actually, I think God's been talking to me about um, being compassionate, that spurs on something in me. And I think to myself, if that's the work that someone's doing in my community and they're being changed by it and the impact is felt, then what's the work that God wants to do in me so that I might be a part of that as well? Look at Hebrews 10, 23 through 24. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Our becoming more like Jesus is not for our own gain. This is not for your own personal development or advancement or individual healing and health. Being formed by Jesus is not for individualized fruit or goodness for just you. That's not how the gospel works. 
becoming who Jesus wants us to be is for all of us. It's for our families. It's for our workplaces. It's for our church community. It's for our neighborhoods. If you attend to who you are, the spaces that you exist in will have impact. Being people who are formed by Jesus points to the nearness of God. If you can say to someone who asks, well, Jesus is teaching me this thing, that is giving witness to the reality that Jesus is alive and at work in the world. That's good news. That's news of hope and life and joy. The worship team can start making their way back up. God cares, oops, God cares more about who we are than about what we do. And while he may call you to something or give you a task for a certain chapter of your life in a really specific way, Jesus is invested in who you are becoming and he does not measure or track or keep score of what you have done for him. And so we're going to uh, respond to God in worship. And, but I think that there's a lot of ways that we can respond to, a, to an invitation like this, right? And something would be off if we walked out the door trying to do better at being. Right? If you walk out of the door and get in your car and you think, okay, so that was about doing better at being. We should start Sunday back again, and I should try to be clearer. This isn't actually about being good doers of being. This is about noticing who Jesus wants you to be. What's the thing that's going on for you right now that he wants to work on? That he wants to change in you? That he wants to refine what's happening for you? What are the things that Jesus wants you to see about you? Through the lens of love. Not of shame, of love. So we're going to sing a song together, but I just wonder if before we do that, we can... Uh, just be still for like 30 seconds. And if we could ask Jesus the question, okay, Lord, just heard that whole thing. What do you want me to notice? That's the only question. And you can think about it for you, and I'm going to think about it for me. Just hold a little bit of space of stillness. I promise I'll watch the clock so we won't be sitting here very long. And just ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to notice right now in this moment? Okay? Jesus, I thank you that you're here with us and that the lens that you give us to see who we are is a lens of love, not of shame. And so, Lord, in your clarity and in your kindness and compassion to us, we ask you this question as a group this morning. What do you want us to notice? 
as we hear the words follow me and as we consider what it's um, as we consider who we are becoming right here in this place in real time what do you want us to notice let's just wait